Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. All right, so we are in Genesis, and in Genesis is, uh, is obviously a book of beginnings or origins. Uh, we saw in chapters one and two, we see that God created everything. He created everything that lives, and he called it good because it had life in it, and it could reproduce that life. So he called everything that could, was good that could do that, including people. Uh, chapters three through five, we see that humans start to redefine what is good by choosing knowledge of good and evil apart from referencing God or apart from interacting with God. And so we see things start to fall apart, but God right away promises that he will make a change and he will make things right through a person. He doesn't just say, hey, I'll I'll figure it out somehow, but he says that he will do it through a person. Chapter 6 through 11, we see that people, it just compounds and ripples throughout all creation, this uh, sin and thinking, well, we know how to do this. And so things get worse and worse. God actually has to press reset on everything and actually wipes out all living things, including all people besides a select group that were on this boat, this ark. And so you think right away things would get better, but then as soon as people come off the ark right away, there's a reset, and it's like they're in the garden again, but then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Noah goes and he gets drunk and naked. You know, ever hear that story before? It's happened a few times, you know? And, and so that things just go bad again, and, and they try to succeed apart from God, and they try to do things and in, in live in a way that they don't need God. And so, so God's, you know, the question all throughout Genesis up to this point is will God be in relationship with people? Because they've messed it up so bad. They've, they've been in rebellion so bad. Will God be in relationship with people? And then last week, uh, Season brought us a great message just about how God uh, narrows in on one person and one family and says, this is how I'm going to do it. And you see a very imperfect people that respond to God And then he does something that actually will ripple throughout the whole world. And God brings his salvation and his fix through those people, which we see ultimately in Jesus Christ. So today, though, we're going to look at chapters 13 through 15. And I want us to, there's lots there, but I want us to dial in on this idea of promise. Because it's really the story of all of scripture. You see a promise that God makes in chapter 3, verse 15, it's the first good news that's there. I will do something about this. But this promise, you see, how's God going to do this? And so I want us to talk about promise. And, you know, there, promises are very powerful. I, I don't think I understood this until uh, I, was, I, was a, I was a new dad. I had, uh, I had one son, another son on the way, and I was coaching football uh, for a... Uh, a military school in San Diego. And so these boys came from all over, uh, mostly California, but then other places in the United States as well. And uh, so their parents weren't around. Some, some sent their, their kids there if they lived in San Diego area, but uh, the football season wasn't going great. I think we were 0-9. 
So, um, <laughs> you know, I was the defensive coordinator in the, the first play of the season, I blitzed my linebacker and took him away from where they were running the ball. And they ran it for like an 80 yard touchdown. So if you know football, you know that, boy, yeah, you should have retired. I think I did after that season. So <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done since. But uh, w- there, was a, there was a young man that uh, halfway through the season or so after the game, and w- we got beat, you know the story, but uh, he was crying and he was sitting by himself. And, and I just said, hey, man, it's okay. I mean, we've done this before. We can get through it. We've lost before. We're okay. And, and he goes, no, it's not that. And I said, well, what? And he goes, well, my dad. I said, what about you? He's, he's, my dad promised he'd be here. And I, I still remember the, like, the feeling of that. My dad promised he'd be here, and he's not here. And he said he, he always promises, but he's not here. And so promises are absolutely powerful. You know, when it comes to promises with God, I feel like there's two extremes a lot of the times. There's the extreme of like, um, I've got God tied up, and so he has to do these things for me, you know, and I just have to push hard enough or ask hard enough or, or, or say it just right, and then God's just going to do this thing the way that, that I want it because God has to. We approach God transactionally. Or there's kind of the, I won't even lift my head high enough to, to look at God or reference God, and why would he ever do anything for me? Why would he have any promise for me? And, and, you know, there's a different way because God's promises are actually reality. See, when, when I make a promise to you or you make a promise to me, <clears throat> I look at it like, is this true? And can I trust this? And, 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 and we, we interact that way. Or will this be? We put the word promise to God and say he promised because that's the way we think. But here's what scripture shows. If it says God promised something, it's as when he created. Let there be light. It is. So when God promises, he speaks, it is reality. And so the promises of God, you're actually like in them right now. All the general promises and anything that he actually has spoken to you, you're in those promises now. But we get, we get off track, though, when we bring timing into it. We get off track when we bring expectations into it. It's like if you've ever, if you've ever backpacked before, uh, <clears throat> there's something called switchbacks. Anybody feel my pain? Switchbacks, backpacking. So switchbacks, the hard thing with switchback is you're just kind of going like this up a mountain. Okay? And the thing with switchbacks is you, you will tell yourself, oh, there's the summit. There it is. And your body's tired, your lungs are tired, and you say, that's the summit. And you get up there and say, nope, not it. And you tell yourself, I'm not going to do that again. But then you do it again. You're like, I think it's up there. But it's not. And so when we do that with the promises of God, we actually get out of the way. And we're going to see this with Abram today. He was like given the promise But the New Testament actually tells us, and in Genesis as well, that he actually never gets there. He actually never gets to live in it. It's his descendants that live in it. But it was promised to him and his descendants. So it's it's a prototype for us that actually when God promises us something, that 
yes, it's there and it is going to happen, but we're not to go and um, set expectations on time and, and do all those things. But what we're supposed to do is actually enjoy the promise, which is him. And so I want to ask you, when it comes to the promises like that you read in Scripture, or when it comes to the goodness of God, or the provision of God, or even personal things that God's promised you, is Jesus enough? Like, is he enough? Because the first promise that we see in Scripture is a promise of a person. So any promise that you or I have from God, ultimately it has to do with a person, and being with him, and journeying with him, versus getting that thing or getting that place. And so just recap of Genesis 12 a little bit. Season took us through the first part. Abram takes the call from God and God says, look, I want you to go to this place. Abram says, good, I'm going. He and his family go, they're on their way. Abram responds by worshiping. He goes to a place, he builds builds an altar, You're going to see this all throughout Genesis with Abram in other places too. And he'll camp out near a tree. It'll say the oaks of Mamre, the oaks of this place. It's referencing back to Genesis because what were they doing in the Garden of Eden? They were camped out near a tree. And I mean, obviously, if you're thinking, you extrapolate that all the way out to the New Testament. Where did life come? Real life, true life through Jesus Christ on a tree. And so you see this theme just all throughout scripture. And so you see this with Abraham. He, he worships and he starts to, he starts, he goes to Shechem and he worships. But then Abraham, Abram, Sarai, and, and everyone goes down to Egypt because there's a famine. And in Egypt, you think like Abram and Sarai, they're going to, they're going to fulfill this promise. They're going to be the ones that, you know, everything's made right through. But then they go back to the old, old ways of hiding and deceiving. Abram says to Sarai, he says, look, you're beautiful. Look, wife, you're beautiful. And if these people know that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you to be their wife. And so act like you're my sister. I mean, it just makes sense. What could go wrong? Right? So right away, Pharaoh, the, the king, he's, he, sure, sure enough, he sees Sarai and he, he takes her into his temple, or he takes her into his his. his, his um, his home uh, to be his wife, but he has lots of wives. And so uh, nothing was consummated in those things, but she's hanging out in in the, uh, you know, in the kingdom with him. But then all of a sudden God pours out all kinds of plagues upon him, protecting, even though Sarah and Abram have made a mess of this thing, protecting and protecting. And And then Pharaoh says, whoa, something's going on. So he says to Abram, he goes, why would you do this? Why would you deceive me? Why would you hide? Why would you? And, and we see is we look back to the garden, right? Where the first people hid and deceived and, and you just see this happening again. So Pharaoh says, look, you guys get out of here. Get out of my land. What do you guys do? And he sends them away with stuff. You know, he pays them to go away. Just take, take all this stuff and then go. And so Abram leaves, uh, you know, a very wealthy man. As we go into chapter 13, um, uh, as we go into chapter 13, we see the state of Abram and Lot and everybody from there. And we see that Abram's trying to live out this purpose again. Uh, and this is the promise that, that is going through Abram's mind, and it's the promise that's all throughout time that people look to. Genesis 12, 3, all families on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, that's the promise. That's why, uh, you know, the three monotheistic faiths, they all look back to Abram, Abraham is, is their father. Uh, Christianity, 
Judaism and Islam. They all look back and say, well, Abraham's our father uh, because, because they want that blessing, right? They want that. And so in chapter 13, we see that it says, so Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev uh, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. So Abram experienced material blessing in his travels, right? God said he's going to bless him, and it's happening. Um, one of the ways is material blessing. That's what we're seeing. But they returned to the previous camp where they worshiped before they went to Egypt, and, and they now are worshiping again. So this is the do-over, right? I mean, you guys know about do-overs. Like, we love do-overs. Um, we, we, we love second chances uh, to be able to get it right again. Uh, my wife, Michelle, and we, we have three, three teenage boys, and uh, we play a game called Knockout. Uh, if you've uh, ever played, it's a basketball game. And so we have a basketball hoop in our driveway. And, and the hard thing about knockout is that you start the game. And, and if you're the first person, and if, if, if you, so if you don't make it, the person behind you, if they make it before you make it, you're out. Okay. And so the rhythm typically of this as it goes is that um, nobody wants to go first. And so I go first because I'm like, yeah, I'll make it. But when I don't make it, and then one of the boys behind me, they make it right after me. I'm like, can I have a do-over? You know, because I don't want to be out that fast. Like, if I'm going to be out here, you know, I, I want a do-over. And so you understand this. Abram and his family, they get a do-over. Um, but the problem is, is that Abram and Lot, uh, th- th- there's so much material abundance between their livestock and their people and, and the people in their household. They're overwhelming the resources of the region that they're in. Uh, they also are, there's infighting amongst the herdsmen of Lot's people and Abram's people. And so things aren't going well. So Abram's the leader. But what he does is he goes to Lot and he says, look, Lot, and, and the area that they're in is, is it's, it's really called like the spine of the country. Uh, it's this mountain range. And so it'd be the spine of, of this whole land. And, and they would look east. Traditionally, that's what they would do. And so he's looking east. And so he says, look, Lot, if you want all the land to the left, so the north, or all the land to the right, to the south, you take that, I'll take the other way. And so Abram's just humble. And he, he's like, look, God's going to bless me no matter what. I'm not going to grasp things. I'm going to trust God. And so Lot, instead of saying to the left or the right, uh, Lot says, well, I want what's east. So he wants this land in the Jordan Valley. And, and, and it says in the scripture, it says that, um, that it reminded them of the garden, that it was that lush and good and and, and so, but the problem was, is it says that the people were wicked. And so I think somehow Lot was drawn to this place. I think that at this point, Lot's heart was not going the same way that Abram's was as far as trusting and following after God. And so Lot was drawn to this place. And I mean, that's typically how it is. I mean, you know, some of my, my you know, best times in life where I just felt close with people and God and was healthy you know, or because I was, I was drawn to people that were like-minded in that way. And, and then some of my worst times is that where my heart was off and I was drawn to people that really led me astray and I led them astray. And, and that's what we see with Lot. We see Lot 
uh, go down to these people as well. So Lot takes off with all of his people, and then God has Abram alone, and he says this to him. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, this is verse 14, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm giving, you, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. I will give you so many descendants that the dust of the earth, they cannot, uh, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove. So again, near a tree belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. So if, if you were to look at this on a map along this spine, uh, Abram earlier um, was up near Shechem. That's when he first heard the call from God. He said, yes, he, he built an altar there. He worshiped there. This is near Bethel where he's showing him everything. And in, in he, he builds an altar and worships there. Then he goes, he goes south towards Hebron and then he builds an altar and worship there. And God says, look, this is what I'm going to do. I want you just to just explore, just explore what I've given to you. Explore this place and wander around. And this is a key thing when it comes to promises. Um, scripture, because it primarily gives us the highlights of stuff. Sometimes there's just down normal life moments. But scripture, because it gives us the highlights a lot of times we as followers of Jesus can feel like that that's how life is with God. That it's just high moment, high moment, high moment. Get there, get there, get there, get there. We got to get there. We got to get there. We got to get there. That that's the pace of God. But it's actually not. Like if you watch Jesus, Jesus is never in a hurry. That's actually one of the things that his disciples and people are, are shocked with is they look at him like, man, this is going on. Why are you there? Like your friend Lazarus, he, he, he's sick. You know, okay, we need to go now. Jesus says, we're going to wait. And he waits two days, Lazarus dies. But he knew that God, his father, wanted to do something else. So he was paying attention to what his father was doing. You see, he was following the pace of his father, not the pace of life, right? There's a difference. And so when we have promises from God, when we look from things, things that God's promised us or, or general promises that God has, we can think that we need to follow after those or get those at the pace of life. But with Abram here, he says, look, I want you just to explore all of this that you're going to have. But he was exploring it as an alien. He was exploring it as a refugee. You see, he actually never took personally ownership of all the, all the land that God promised him. And so he, he was wandering through this life just as a refugee, as an alien, he never really had it. He could see it, and he could see what it would be, but it was his descendants that this would ripple through throughout all time. And so it is sometimes with us. God's maybe even shared very personal things with you or how things are going to be, and, and, and you may never see that fruition and taste it in the way that you think. But because God loves you and because God wants to share with you what he's doing and what he is going to do, He'll share with you, this is where this is all going to be, ultimately. And again, that's where we change our target. Our target can never be the fulfillment of the promise. Our target always has to be relationship with him, walking with him, being with him. And so um, Genesis 14, we see, I'm not going to read any scripture from it, but it's, it's kind of like a, 
it, it's, it speaks of this fully. Abram is just hanging out at another tree. And he's, he's making friends. He's, he's making friends with neighbors. He's living life. He's, uh, he's getting to know the land. He, he's just enjoying life. And that's what, a lot of what following Jesus is. Is just normal, everyday stuff. Learning to know him. Walking with him. It, it, there are high moments and there's low moments. But it's just walking through it. Um, as an example, uh, like Michelle, my wife and I, we, we've done a lot of premarital counseling. Uh, people that want to get married, and, and so we do counseling with them. And one of the questions we ask is, you know, well, why do you want to marry this person? And, you know, what, what do you like about them, these things? And, then, and we typically always ask, so what do you like doing together? And in where we're driving, and we do have, we do have a, an agenda, which is, can you just do, like, normal stuff together? Can you paint a room, do laundry, you know, uh, clean up stuff, fix messes, you know, just, just, just everyday normal stuff, because that's where you're going to develop this intimacy, is just this regular life rhythm of doing things. And that's actually where we get to know God, too, is where we look for him in those moments, those just normal everyday places. That's where he's moving. That's where he's speaking, is in those moments. You know, we come to places like this and we worship. And, and the only reason that this place is holy and set apart is because you're here and because he's here. It's just a building. New Testament says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God's activity is always within, and then it works itself out. And so what we see with Abram in chapter 14 is that he's hanging out near a tree and then this war breaks out. See, there's, there's five kings that were subservient to the king of Edom for many years, for 12 years actually. And so in the, in the, um, in the 13th year, they rebel. And so the king of, king of Edom calls in a bunch of other kings that are friends and they go and attack these rebelling kings, okay? And it doesn't go well for the rebelling kings, uh, it's interesting, one of the kings that comes to help the king of Edom is the king of Babylonia, it says. And he would have been the king of the area that Abram, Sarai, and Lot left from when they went to this land. And so Lot, because he's down in the plains of, of Sodom in this area, it, he actually gets taken away. And I would bet that it was the king of Babylonia that took Lot and says, you know what, you're coming home. You're coming back to the, you know, to the land that you were from. Well, Abram catches wind of this. And so he actually uh, takes 318 men that are trained uh, warriors in his home. So you, you can see how much he had that he was able to take these men. And they track down these armies uh, as they're entering into like modern day Syria, east of Israel. And he tracks them down and he defeats them all. We don't know how, except for probably God. And he rescues Lot, and he rescues all of the things, and he's traveling back, and he's going around to where we know present-day Jerusalem is. And at about that time, the, the, the king of Jerusalem, or the king of, king of Salem, it says, and the king of Sodom actually meet up with Abram in this valley outside of Jerusalem. And so the king of Salem is Melchizedek. And so... Uh, Melchizedek, is, is, he's really a, he's a unique figure in scripture. 
Hebrews in the New Testament chapter 7 says that, that he didn't have a father or mother, that he was this unique character. And, and so uh, some people, there's huge arguments about it. So if you really want to nerd out, look up Melchizedek. You know, who is Melchizedek? And, but some people think that this, was a, uh, that this was a Christophany. In other words, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. Other people think that, uh, you know, he was just a, a, a dude that just was really powerful. He was king and priest, which was really rare. Typically, nations would not share both. You couldn't be priest and king. But uh, either way, it says he's a priest of the Most High God. And he blesses Abram and praises God for defeating Abram's enemies. In verse 20 of chapter 14, it says this. It says, and he blessed and be blessed and blessed be God Most High. And really, he's saying, and praise God, most high, who has defeated your enemy. So he's speaking to Abram. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. And so this is interesting. All throughout Genesis, you see people do things that God hasn't necessarily taught them or made something. You need to know that people in Abram's time, it was actually natural for them to give a tenth of their stuff their crops, their livestock, their resources, their money to worship of their God. All the people did it. And, you know, we, we, it was just natural. Like they would, they would look at us when we, uh, you know, a lot of times can end up just burning through everything and just, you know, consuming everything that we've been given on ourselves. They look, would look at that and just say, wow, that's really unnatural that you wouldn't give away what you've been given. And, uh, you know, we can have chronological snobbery sometimes, you know, C.S. Lewis used the term. In other words, we can look back and say, well, because we're farther along in the calendar, we know better. But it was just natural to them that they recognized that everything that they had was from God. And so they would give back to the God that provided for them in those things. And so Melchizedek is, is, means prince of righteousness. So again, you think of prince of Salem. Salem means peace. Prince of Peace, who's the Prince of Peace, Jesus. There's these hints, but we really don't know. So at the very least, he's a type of Christ. He actually brings uh, bread and wine, you know, down there. And you see, you see foreshadowings of, of right, the Lord's Supper, communion. And so as we look at that, we don't know fully, but we know that he's an important character in this. Now, so, so Abram is, is wise with what he has. He, he's functioning on God's principles of, of resources and he's tithing and those things. But then it says the kingdom, king of Sodom says, hey, um, I, I want you to keep all of this stuff that you recovered that was mine. And Abram says, not a chance. I'm not doing it. Because he was basically saying like, hey, you came and rescued not only your own family, but you rescued us and all of our things. So I want you to profit from this effort that you just did. At this point, it was a huge sacrifice for Abram using all of his resources. And actually he left with less than he had. But the king of Sodom says, hey, here, let me just make you, let you profit out. Let me pay you for what you've done. And Abram says, not a chance because I don't want anybody to say or you to say that you are the one that made me prosper or succeed or, or be wealthy. Because, you know, there's people in life that, you know, they try to get your, their claws into you or they try to put their flag up on your flagpole. You know, they, they want to fly their flag up there and, and, and have everybody salute. And so he, there's wisdom here. There's wisdom. Abram is somebody that is fully, he's very imperfect, 
but he's fully given over to being led by God and his promises. And so that's another thing with promises. Don't try to make it happen yourself. Don't try to force it. Don't try to get it. Because remember, Abram's being blessed materially. He could have said at this point, he could have said, hey, you know, all right, this is another way that God's just materially blessing you. But he's like, no, if it comes through this channel, I, I'm not going after it. I'm, I'm not going to have it. Um, you know, I had, I had an incident like this, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, I can't share too much, but um, how can I share in a way? But I had an incident like this anyways, that somebody offered me something and we were lacking, we were, we were really lacking. Um, and so this person offers something that would really make things very comfortable for my family and I in, in all sorts of things, um, position and other things. But to make that happen for us, uh, a bunch of other people were going to suffer from that. And, um, and we just said no. Like, even though that's what we want, even though that's what we came fear for, that even those things, we basically said, we said, no, we're, gonna, like, we're not going to go there because we, we don't like how this affects these people. We don't like how this comes about. We're not going to make this happen ourselves. And so in chapter 15, we actually see, uh, it says sometime later, okay? And, and again, sometime later, uh, Abram is in the long middle. Anybody know about the long middle? I hate the long middle. Just, just the long middle of like, you're working towards something like the time between 18 and like 25 or so is, is typically the long middle. You know, you, you know enough that you can kind of like walk through life and you don't need so much of your parents' help and you're kind of cruising through and, you know, but you're, you're not maybe, you know, you don't, haven't met that person yet. You don't have the career yet or you work your tail off or you're not making much money yet and you don't know who you are and you think you've got it all together and then you do something stupid and it's just, that's really the middle time, right? Age-wise. But then we have other middle times where we're working, 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 but we don't seem like we move forward and, and it's the long middle. So Abram is there at the beginning of the long middle because it actually goes much longer. And so in verse one, it says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. So you remember the king of uh, uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem? What did he say? He said, he said, praise be to God or blessed be God because he has protected you or given you victory over your enemies. The same word there is the same word that's used here for protect. They translate it differently in chapter 14, verse 20, but here it says protect. And here's what it means. It means a shield. And so God is coming to Abram and he's saying like, hey, I don't know if you understood it, but do you realize what I did for you when you went after those kings and after Lot? Do you realize that I was your shield? Do you realize that I protected you? Do you realize that even though you had got yourself in this worst place and this worst place and this worst place, and, and I know you're trying to do your best, but do you realize that I kept harm coming from you? Do you realize that I gave you success? Do you realize that I gave you this? And he says, I am your shield. And you know, it's, it's a place for Abram to pause, but it's a place for us to pause. You know, I think so many times we, we want God to perform or we say, God, you know, if, if, if you do this, then, then I'll do this. Or, you know, if you get this together, I'll do this. And, you know, are we, are we just, or we're demanding more from God or we want God to do more and more. And, and, and he's like, man, you know, I, uh, 
I want you to enjoy what I've done for you. I want you to enjoy the graces that I've given upon you. See, many times we can't get to the next thing or the thing we're going after until we like sit down into what God's currently given us because we can't be the person that, that can have what's next. You know, like we're not that person yet. And so that's why sometimes there's these long middle times where we're, we're becoming the person that can have what God's given to us. You know, I mean, I mean, the chaos of life. One of the biggest things I pray for my family and that I pray for you guys is for protection from the chaos of life. For most of my life, I was really good at finding chaos and creating it. Most of my younger years. I just seemed to stumble into it. And so I understand it. There's chaos that there's an enemy. We've seen him throughout Genesis and, and he, he dislikes anything that God loves and God loves you. And then there's the chaos of our flesh, the chaos that we just create in the world. And God says, let me be your shield and I've been your shield. I mean, that's the amazing thing is that is that he pours out his rain on the just and the unjust. He pours out his goodness upon the just and the unjust. Like he protects and watches after people, even though they don't recognize him, even though they don't say anything to him or follow him or thank him or any of those things. God's good. He's just that good. It's not a, it's not a, like a, it's not a system of merit with God. He just loves, so he pours out. As we respond to his love, as we give our lives over more to him, we experience more of that. Why? Because we're, we're participating with it. We're cooperating with what God's doing. So he says to Abram, look, I've been your shield. I've protected you and I'll continue to be your shield. And he says that to us too. And so Abram shares his frustration with God though. See if you understand or you've been at this place where you have this gate or this, this pace with God. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord. So he's recognizing that God is the one that can do everything and is in charge of everything. What good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? You ever prayed that way before? You know what, Lord? You know, I see this and I hear this promise and I see this thing and I've heard that you're like this, but I think that you've got a different plan going with me. I think somehow maybe you've forgotten about me, God. Or I think, God, I don't really know that this was part of the deal. And he says, since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will, be, will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram, Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Okay. So here's something important about God's promises. Um, there's kind of a teaching and there's kind of a, an application when it comes to the way God works or promises that if I have, 
it's like I'm adding God to my life. Like, so when I come to faith in Jesus, it's like I'm adding him to me. So now I just become more of what I've always wanted to be. Like I'm adding him to my program. And so we sometimes approach promises like, okay, so I have this goal and this dream. And so I'm saying, God, will you bless this goal and this dream? That's different than what Abram is functioning in here. Now, God does bless things. He does work to profit us and move in things, and he helps us accomplish the things that are important to us. But if that is the only promises that you're focused on in your life, is the things that you could think up yourself or the things that you desire yourself or the things that you're like, yeah, I want to do that, then you'll never step into fully who God made you to be. Because Abram here, here's the thing. He and Sarai... They, they were, she was barren. They couldn't have any kids. And sure, they wanted kids. Sure, he wanted a son. But it wasn't him that went to God and, and said, hey, this is what I want. God came to him and he said, he said I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And I'm going to give you offspring. And I'm going to give you descendants. It was God's idea. So there's a difference. There's a difference between God's dreams in my dreams. In God's dreams, here's the hard thing. God's dreams typically for you have to do with blessing others through you. Your blessing is that you get to be blessed to be a blessing. That's what we see with Abram. And that's like way up here, you guys. Like that is like, man, if I could live that way, that I could have this flow of life and blessing from God. And then that flow and blessing from God flows into the lives of others and helps accomplish what God has for them in their life. If I could live that way. But then we get stuck and we think that it has to do with the things that we think up or our accomplishments. And then we're functioning with God all the time. And Jesus actually spoke about that stuff, like the basic stuff. You know, hey, don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or where you're going to go. Like your father knows that you need those things. I mean, he knows that what you need and he knows what to give you before you even ask. Like that's basic. He's going to care for you in those things. It may look different and interesting at times, but he's always going to take care of you. But some of us, we never get past like, God, will you provide for me? God, will you provide for me? Instead of asking God, what do you want to give me and do through me for others? And that's a scary place though, because we're basically saying like that God knows how to do this thing better than us. That God knows what we were made for better than us, which is a good assumption. And so in verse six, it says, and Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So this is, this is, a main scripture in all of the Bible to reference and to know, because it shows us how people of all time are saved and made righteous. So righteous is, is a right relationship with God, our vertical relationship, and then horizontal relationship, right relationship with people. That's righteousness. You see, all of us, if we're apart from Christ, we're trying to make ourselves righteous on our own. And it actually shows itself as sin. 
So what we're actually saved from when we actually give our lives to Jesus Christ is we're saved from trying to save ourselves. We're saved from trying to make ourselves righteous and make things right on our own. And so even though Jesus had not come yet at that moment of the cross and the resurrection in his life, Abram and all people before the cross looked towards God's ultimate salvation by faith. We have the luxury of looking back at that. So it still is all in that moment of Christ. But Abram does something that I want to encourage you to do. Yeah, I am saying don't major in the minors in the sense of like, God, will you do these basic things for me? Because he he does that because he loves you and he will always take care of you. But at the same time, I'm saying, will you have a conversation with God? Will you walk with God? Will you talk with God? Will you push back on God about his big promises, about his big things, about his major things that have to do with that? Because that's what Abram does. He believes God, but he says, hey, God, give me a sign. Show me more. And you see him actually negotiate with God later things in life uh, too because he just doesn't take it as a pat answer. He's pushing on God. He's asking God to explain things. He's moving through things. He shares when he's frustrated. He shares when he's angry. You want to experience God? Bring your real self to him. Like all of you, if you're angry at God, share that you're angry with God. Like, you know, some of us in this room, some of us online, we have, we have terrible things that people have done to us. We have terrible things that we've done to other people. We've hurt people. We've hurt ourselves and those things. And we look at the mess and we look at that. And then somehow it's like this idea that I have to clean up all of that. And then I get to come to God. But that's not the story. The story is I bring all of that mess and I say, hey, God, knock, knock. Here's all of this. What can you do? Like, here's all of me. Just here's everything. I just give you everything, God. Just I'm tired of trying to clean up the mess myself. I do this. Michelle, my wife, I'm terrible at untangling things. And so we'll sit there for her. Oh man, and she can tell where it's, and so I'll hand it to her. And she untangles it like in 30 seconds. And I'm sitting, I've been doing it for half an hour. That's how God is. He can do things that we can't with our lives. And so later on in the chapter, God makes a covenant with, with Abram. And you know, because Abram says, hey, how can I know? Show me a sign. So the way that people made covenants in these days, you know, uh, one would be, you know, you see it in Genesis, like they'd, you know, take the hand of the other person and put it right on the inner thigh. You know, here, let's make a covenant. You know, it's pretty, pretty intimate, pretty personal. But another way, and we see this in other extra biblical writings, uh, in other nations and other countries, one way that they would do it is they would bring animals and they would dismember the animals. Okay? I'm not advocating for this if anybody, you know, just, they would dismember the animals. And so God says to Abram, I want you to bring these pure animals here. I want you to bring them. And so Abram dismembers them and, and they would set them up like in a pathway, kind of like between these chairs and the stage here, in a pathway. And what would happen is, is that uh, the two parties would walk through the dismembered animals, like through the path. And it was this statement of saying, if I don't fulfill my part of this, what's happened to these animals shall happen to me. It was a way of saying like, I am all in everything personal that I'm all into this thing. But the story goes is that like, Abram falls into this like deep 
like coma or sleep, and there's darkness that comes. And it says that he sees a fire, a flame, move through the, through the parts. And, and so the interesting thing is that Abram didn't walk through. There's two parties involved, but Abram didn't walk through. God's saying, it's all on me. It's all on me. And you look at it and you see this, and, and I can't help but think that it's foreshadowing Christ. When you think of Christ, that he, he gave his real body that was broken for you and I. That he shed his real blood that was shed for you and I. That he, he, was the, he lived a perfect life. He wasn't a victim. Nobody, nobody uh, he didn't become a victim and just, you know, oh, you know, he wasn't that. He intentionally lived this life and then laid down that life as a sacrifice that we would be made right with God. He said, here, let me do it all. And so this covenant points to the new covenant that we see in Christ. Let, let me do it all. Let, let me just lay down my life. Let me be the one. And, and as we see that, we see, and, and you think, well, why did God have to do it this way? I don't know, but it was the way that people were, were executed in his day. And, you know, they, 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 took, a, they took a whip, a whip that was, that was designed to, to be thrown upon the back and then claw into the back and pull flesh off. Scripture says that he was beaten to the point that you wouldn't think that he was a man. It was like he was dismembered. And you look at that and you say, wow, Lord, you are so intentional with me. You are so intentional with us is that, is that you leave nothing to really be confused about. Like God has shown his love for us that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. We never have to wonder whether God loves us or not. We never have to wonder whether he's with us or not. He has shown it all throughout. We see it in scripture with Abram, who's imperfect like you and me. And he probably wouldn't even fit the good definition of a, a good believer. You know? The church is so good at saying like, hey, you're in if you're this way. If you dress this way or listen to this music or do this or you don't do this, you're good if you're this. But if, you know, uh, but if you do this stuff, you're out. But you see, the body, the church of Jesus Christ is a place, it's a hospital, right? It's a hospital where there's broken healers, where people are getting healed and there's imperfect people. And the thing that we're all drawn to is Jesus and his life. Because we look to him and we say, wow, that is real. That is right. And as we are with him and we are with his people, Somehow, indirectly, somehow we are changed. We are transformed. It's what God does. And we see it all throughout Scripture, including here. And so, God spoke to Abram. He says, I will bless all families on earth through you. And what if that was God's word to us too? 
Like, what if that's his word? Like, what if it, like, extrapolates through generation to generation that all people that pick up this thing of trusting in God by faith and in not their own merit and not their own righteousness and trusting in him, and like, what if he just extrapolates that through all generations that that you, little old you today, that looks at your life maybe and says, man, I'm a mess, or I hurt, or I don't know if I can ever pull it together. What if God says, I will make you a blessing through all people. And then what if we together as a church, God would say, I will make you all a blessing and I will bless you for all people, for the whole world. I mean, that's where, how it works, isn't it? I mean, even think about today. Think how stuff moves throughout the world. That's how it is, actually. Little old you, God wants to bless the whole world. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, you don't try to get to the promise too soon, but you just walk. And the biggest thing is receiving. And I talk about this quite a bit because, you know, um, it breaks my heart as I meet people like throughout um, just places I go and talk to people about um, they're recovering from religion. They're recovering from the church. They're recovering from stuff. And, and, um, and they just think that God just wants them to do so much and, 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 and perform so much and, and, and these things. And it's all about like what they can do for God. And, and yet I just don't see it. What I see is that God is just like, hey, I'm going to love you and I'm going to pour myself upon you and I'm going to give grace to you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to... And so what is our number one thing that God wants from us? Just, just receiving. Like, can I just receive? Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 